All right, we're ready. What's today's topic? The truth about estate planning, right? And so I'm gonna before I bring our panelists up, I'm gonna do one truth, and then I'm gonna bring our panelists up. So they're they're getting ready here. And so this is our first truth. If I wait long enough to deal with this estate planning stuff, it'll go away and it won't be an issue for me. Right? That's a good truth, right? We have a lot of people that say that. And so what is the reality? If you don't put some things in place, then someone else, maybe not of your choosing, will be tasked with doing it for you. So what we're going to talk about today, for those of you who are here to learn about this, great. There may be some people that you're going to go home and talk to who have their head stuck in the sand a little bit, maybe still, right? So you want to show them that truth first, all right? Panelists, you guys ready to come on up? Let's uh, welcome Curtis and Jennifer. These are two familiar faces that you guys already know from our education partners. And uh, just while they're coming up, let me let you know that we had a third uh, panelist. His name is Mike Geezy, and he is with Purview Life. And he came in, uh, Jennifer, I got you on the far left, and Curtis in the middle. I have to keep Curtis in the middle because we have to be able to manage him. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> All right, so Mike uh, came in right at time to start, and he was a little frazzled and uh, informed us that he uh, has to go back to his uh, other job that he does. He's a, he works with cardiac patients. When they're getting cardiac surgery, he runs one of the machines um, that keeps people alive during cardiac surgery. It's a fairly important job, I think. And uh, anyway, he had scheduled time off for today, and the person who was uh, handling that today had a medical emergency of their own, and so he had to go and take care of that. And so obviously we uh, wish him well and hope that all is well with that. Um, but we'll be doing a follow-up with him, and I'll be doing an interview with him about his part later. But I just want to let you know, since he's on all the slides and you're not seeing him up here, that um, that was certainly a legitimate reason to not be here today. Now, that said, Jennifer and Curtis know him and know of the services that Purview provides, and so they're going to be able to speak to a lot of those. And so I'm always so grateful when we have professionals that work together closely and they can kind of almost do each other's spiels in a way, right? Yeah. All right, Jennifer Wright, uh, who is our resident attorney here, she has her own law firm. She does estate planning. She's been doing it now for, what, 14 years? 18 years. 18 years, right? Right, yeah. And so somebody was surprised about that when they came up to her uh, at the table the other day. Uh, and I said, well, it's because you look so young. How can you be doing this for 18 years? Well, actually, you're right. I've been doing estate planning for 14. I've yeah. been an attorney for 18. So. Yeah. And uh, you've got some other team members here today, or an A team member here today. You want to tell them who's back there at your table? Yes. So at our table, uh, Layla Nafee West is back there. She joined me um, at the end of April, so she's also an attorney. Yeah, and so she's got her team here, and uh, Jennifer has been doing estate planning for a lot of our folks for the last, what, you've been an education partner now off and on for four years or so, right? Yeah, so very good. So you all have heard her before, um, but today we're going to be talking about some, uh, some new and interesting things and also some things you may have heard. We're going to talk about them a little differently. And then Curtis uh, came with our best trust and wealth management, and you guys know Curtis as well. Um, and Curtis, also, you want to introduce who your team member is back there as well? My partner back there is Sam Weir. Sam is an investment advisor and uh, 
in the wealth management area, we kind of uh, bifurcate a lot of the duties, although we overlap a good bit. But Sam does a terrific job working with a number of his own clients, as well as some of mine, where we collaborate. But he, he helps with all matters in the in the world of investments, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, annuities, um, disability, you know, insurance fields. So mostly personal lines, not homeowners insurance or health insurance, but more like life insurance and annuities and things like that that are part of one's estate plan. Now, if you tell me that Sam's been doing this for 18 years, I'm going to make him show me his ID. Yeah, he lacks gray hair. That's about the only okay. thing he lacks. Right. Otherwise, he's got it all. Yeah, he's, he's a bright guy, and, uh, but I, I, I was going to ask him to show me his ID if he sees doing it 18 years. Yeah, you won't see him drinking. Too. Okay, all right. All right, Sam, we're, we're glad you're here, and Layla, we're glad you're here. And uh, Okay, so one of the things I wanted to point out, the reason I had them introduce their team is because, you know, when you contact one of these education partners, um, what I love about it is that they, not only are they uh, available to do things to help us out and to answer questions, but they cross-train their people. So in many cases, if, they, if you can't get a hold of them, they might run the answer through uh, one of their team members. And so don't ever hesitate to just pick up the call, uh, the phone and call and say, hey, I had this question, I saw you speak at the Truth Series and I wanted to run something by you. And uh, you know we're all very willing to do that, okay? So let's get rolling. Um, you guys, I'm gonna read the, tr uh, the myth and the truth and then we're gonna talk through them. You guys don't have yours with you, do you? Okay. So uh, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read it because I know you guys can't read that because I know I can't read that, right? Okay. So the second truth is, if I don't have children, living children, no one can tell me how to live my life or meddle in my affairs. As such, I don't need to do any estate planning. Is that a myth or is that true, Jennifer? I would say that's a myth. <laughs> okay. So here's what I put down as the truth, and then I want you to elaborate on this. Okay. If you're showing signs of diminished capacity causing you to be unable to care for yourself or your affairs, anyone can petition the court to serve as a guardian. If or when appointed as a guardian, they assume decision-making power for the ward in accordance with powers awarded by the court. Now, when we, you and I were talking right beforehand, and you said, Nikki, I wish if I could tell people one thing, this is what it would be. What did you tell me? That I, I hear a lot from people um, that... You know, they get concerned about estate planning because they feel like somehow that's giving up control. But actually, it's the opposite. It's you taking control. And so when you make those decisions in advance, um, you're, you're taking control and you're setting out what your, what your wishes are and who you want to step up and manage your affairs and make your medical decisions for you if you're not able to. So chances are most of us in this room will have a time in our lives where we're not able to care for ourselves. So it could even be a temporary thing where you're, um, you know, if you're in an accident or something, you're not able to, to make your decisions. You want to have the person that you trust to be able to make those decisions for you. And that, that may not happen unless you have the, the right legal documentation in place. And, you know, um, if you don't, you know, it, it could be that that person um, would be able to make those decisions, but most of the time it's not going to be without a lot of work, and that would involve petitioning the court for 
um, appointment as your guardian. So can I play devil's advocate on that? So since you mentioned accidents, right? So let's let's think. Okay, so surgeries, for instance, if you had to have surgery, and God forbid something goes wrong with the surgery, and you end up having to be in the hospital, and you're in a coma, or you're having multiple surgeries, or you're having, um, and there is no paperwork in place to handle your affairs, whether it be bills or whether it be um, insurance or anything like that, or even talk to the medical doctor, right? So it has there, is there a possibility that if that were a long-term situation, somebody would have to go to the court and ask for permission? Right, yeah, so that's where we, we look at filing guardianship. Um, and it's, it's not a, a quick and easy process. And once you have that guardianship established, it's an ongoing, an ongoing thing. Now, sometimes it can't be avoided. Um, so, but if, you, if you're able to make those plans in advance and sign your estate planning documents in advance, then it can likely be avoided if you have somebody named as your healthcare power of attorney to make your medical decisions and a financial power of attorney um, to be able to handle your affairs. And then if you have a trust in place and your assets are in the trust, your trustee would be able to um, manage those. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. And that's the perfect answer. I'm going to say it in more, more lay language in a much more concise way, and that is if you don't make that choice in advance, someone's going to make it for you, and you probably wouldn't like their choice. Um, it also gives rise to conflict because there will be a struggle for power and some, some people will want to have control for all the wrong reasons. Um, I can tell you I've just, as of yesterday, sort of ended a, a, about a six-month odyssey with a family member came to an end because they had a very poorly structured plan um, with a lot of um, um, right pro problems embedded in it that I've spent the last six months not the last six months, it didn't take me that long, but I spent a lot of time and effort cleaning that up. If left to someone who didn't have the, the professional training experience I have, it would still not be resolved. And the idea of going to court is not free, um, it's not expedient, and again, you might end up in a, a it's just not ideal, and I'll just, I mean, I can give you a litany of examples of that, but it's just not ideal. Well, let's keep going through this, because not all guardianships are bad, right? And not all uh, powers of attorney type situations are bad, if you're in control, right? That's kind of the ideal thing. All right, so here's the third myth. Let's move on to that one and talk about it. With no living children or family members, who can or will serve as my health care advocate and help manage my affairs while I'm alive and settle my estate after my death. So, Jennifer, uh, I, I, I said that was a myth, but um, it's I, not a myth, that was a question. I asked so. Jennifer if I could take a crack at this first. And this is, a, this is a great question because it ought to be part of the dialogue that you're having with your advisor or your, your, whether it's your attorney or whomever. This ought to be something you're considering when you start thinking of that plan. And it's really as simple as that. If I'm not able to take care of my personal affairs, whether they be legal, financial, healthcare, who would that be? And I've, I've sat down, and I know Jennifer has too, you sit down with a lot of people going, well, I don't have any kids, my, you know, my spouse is gone, no one close by. And the beauty of what we do is we see, so, we have this conversation so often, uh, so often that we can help with solutions and structure in a way that people might not think about. But there, there are resources out there, whether it's family, 
um, whether it's friends, whether it's you know pastoral staff, um, it's just a matter of what you would be comfortable with and um, kind of vetting all those. So professionals or lay people can do. Yeah, this. they don't have to be yeah. professionals. It's just it, you know I have people who have, have have appointed neighbors, you know, trusting the longtime neighbors they've known for thirty years to to step up and, and handle some of those things. So. The, the simple answer is almost anybody could. I would dissuade you from, you know, people who have been convicted of crimes and, you know, things of that sort, obviously. But you don't have to start at the bottom. You can start at the top. What would be ideal? So so when we originally, when we were going to talk with Mike about this, right. so kind of talk a little bit, Jennifer, about how you utilize some of the people like Mike with Purview and people like that. Sure. So Curtis touched on, you know, there can be other people besides children who can serve in that role, um, in particular for making health care or personal decisions about your life. Um, and Purview is another option. Um, they, it's, a, it's a company and they provide those services. So, so they will serve as a health care power of attorney. They will also serve as guardian um, to an extent. Now in Oklahoma, um, you're limited as far as how many guardianships you can be appointed to. So you can only be up to five. So they would be limited in that regard. Um, per person, right? Per, per person, person right? yeah. So it depends on how many people they have working for them available to take those on. But that is something, a service that they offer. Um, of course, they do they do charge for those services. But, um, you know, they, I know that they do a lot of, um, you know, medical visits, so they're going to manage, they're like a care manager. They're kind of like an, an adult child for hire. Right. Right. Exactly. Like if you don't have a kid, they can be your kid and probably cheaper actually, even though you're paying them. It's probably right. cheaper than having yeah. a kid. Yeah. They, they have a suite of services and that's, right. that's, right. Like, that's one that's really huge yeah. because for those people who really have, you know, nobody else in the world who can really do that, this is a professionally trained, bonded, experience well known so purview in particular they're not the only game in town but purview is a firm we're very familiar with and they do a terrific job so you guys know that before i will invite anybody to be on our panel much less an education partner we do a fair amount of vetting right like we do we do our homework to make sure that this person or people or organization is legit and so I did a lot of calling around, and one of the people I called was uh, Janet, at one of the trust officers at Arvest, and I left her a message and told her I was checking on these guys at Purview, what do you think? And she called me right back and she said, absolutely, no question, trust them, they're great, they're amazing, they've helped lots of our clients. And when somebody in, that I hold in that kind of high regard will tell me that, and we're dealing with, these are high wealth individuals a lot of times that they're helping, that, uh, and so I think, okay, now I also, uh, Jennifer pointed out, you know, they do some care management type thing. And let me explain what that is. And from my perspective, since Mike's not here, this is my understanding of it. Uh, he is, uh, has training in the medical industry. Obviously he's worked in, uh, <laughs> on cardiac patients. He's, you know, not a nurse, but he's, I forget, he's a technician, but he's, he's works in the medical field. His wife is a nurse um, and they employ nurses. And their, their thought, the, the purview thought, they're an uh, extension of the original office, which is in Tulsa, it was also founded by a nurse, is that people needed an advocate, but they needed an advocate with some, uh, with some teeth, right? Like people who could walk in the door and talk to the physician and have paperwork in hand, 
And that person needed to have insurance, they needed to have some accountability, and so on. And so they basically put this together. And I'm, I'm pretty amazed. Like, you guys have heard us talk about John Branscombe has been here before, right? Y'all like John. He's a great guy, right? But he's a kind of a solo person. Uh, he does it as an individual. He has a company, obviously. But uh, Purview is kind of like what John does, only as a, as a company. And so there's four. I think they have four people right now here in Oklahoma City. And so they could do 20 guardianships that are court appointed, I guess, based on the, is that right? Did I do my math right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Four times five is 20, yes. Well, okay. uh, and just a nuance, yeah. if you're hiring them, if they're being appointed as an individual guardian, the, the math works. If you're trying to get the, the, the company, the company oh, then yeah. there's going to be some, some oh, gotcha. intricacies. So it kind of depends on how they're assigning the guardianships. Yeah, and it's gotcha. always going to be case sensitive. And they, they would only serve as guardian. In the guardianship uh, world, you have guardian of the person and guardian of the property. So they would only serve as guardian of the person. So that's personal decisions, medical decisions, things like that. Um, guardian of the property would be the person that's going to manage the finances. So that's where you might have a corporate trustee like Arvest or, you know, if you have somebody that somebody else is serving in that role. Okay, so you may not have just one person, and you may have two people that are accountable Correct. to the court. Okay, all right. Okay, so I'm going to go to the next one. We're going to cover a lot of questions up here, a lot of myths, and you guys are asking questions in your mind right now, so write them down. We're going to cover them at the Q&A, as you know. So the next one is, a last will and testament is all I need to handle my personal affairs. So if I have a will, my planning is complete. Jennifer, is that a truth or a myth? Well, I'll give you a typical attorney answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, you know, what I tell people when you do estate planning, you essentially have three choices. One is not doing anything. So if you're not doing anything, you're making a choice and you're adopting what our state legislature has set forth in our Oklahoma statutes as your estate plan. So they give you a free estate plan in our Oklahoma statutes. It's probably not what you're gonna like. <laughs> so um, that's not a great choice. The second choice would be to do a will estate plan. So that's where um, you have a last will and testament that's going to say what's going to happen to your assets at your death. Um, that will has to go through probate to have any effect. So. Explain what probate is, Jennifer. So, so probate, the word probate actually means to prove. So it's the process of proving the will if you have a will. Um, you can have probate with a will and probate without a will. So I get a lot of calls. People say exactly what you said. I've got a will, so I'm good. And when I explain that a will has to go through probate, a lot of people don't realize that. So a will does have to go through that probate process. So the other part of a probate process is proving who the heirs are. So it's to prove who your heirs are and to prove the will. And it's a, the court process and the procedure is set out in our statutes um, of administering estates. And um, it does, it works well. I have done a lot of probates. And, but it, it takes some time. And it's not cheap to go through that process. So our state statutes are very explicit about the requirements. There are deadlines to do things. You have to publish notices in the newspaper. So it's not private, it's public. 
you can look up anybody. Anybody's a state that's been probated in Oklahoma, you can look it up online and you can find a list of their assets and all kinds of information about their family and, and things like that. So I'm gonna kind of take another approach to this as well and, and, it, and it really speaks to the planning process. So and by way of analogy, I, I, I'll tell a quick story and that was when my younger son was uh, quite small, he was having chronic throat and ear infections. And it turns out his tonsils were off the chart in terms of being too large. And our, our obstetrician, I said, do you think we need to go see an ENT? He goes, I can send you to an ENT, but someone's coming home without tonsils. And the reason I tell that story is because if, if just left to your own advices or, the, you know, sort of the uh, advice of, of laypersons, um, you might not get what you need in terms of your estate plan. The third option, or fourth option, you know, the first option Jennifer mentioned is the, the, that the statutes do it. Your, your, your government has provided you with an estate plan. I'm, I'm with the government and I'm here to help, which is not ideal. The second is either a will-driven or a trust-driven estate plan. A fourth option is also pre-titling of accounts. You can do things with transfer on death provisions, pay on death provisions, beneficiary designations, things of that sort. So the thing I would encourage you to do, so the, the, the moral of that is, it's also the nature of your estate that would determine the best solution for you. God forbid you go to LegalZoom.com, I don't see anybody with LegalZoom here, but you know, doing it yourself, and there's another story I could tell there, but we don't have time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, doing it will remind me to talk about Ray, the rocket scientist. Okay. Um, but doing it yourself is not a good option, and I can, you know, I can tell you anecdotally and many reasons why not but there are other options but it's always going I call it case sensitive and each each person I sit down with is going to be a different case and I know that's true with Jennifer as well that's it, why she said it depends yeah we're going to find the right side with the right advice by from the right people you're going to find the best solution the optimal solution and it's not going to be a matter of you know selling you a Cadillac when a Uzo will do or whatever so so Jennifer, when you, you said earlier, you said there were three, you said the non-planning, which is the state, yeah. and then you had the will, was the third one trust or was right. it Right, so the third one would be trust. Okay. Um, so, and the, the main difference, just real quick, between a will and trust is with a trust, if your assets are titled in the trust, that's the key with the trust is you've got to get the assets titled in the name of the trust. With a trust, you can avoid that guardianship proceeding that we talked about, and you can avoid probate. So there are other ways to avoid guardianship and probate, like Curtis mentioned, one way to avoid probate is with beneficiary designations. So I'll say, though, you know, that may not be the best plan because it depends on who your beneficiaries are. It depends on if they're going to die before you or after you, and we don't know the answer to that question. So the trust is always going to have a backup beneficiary where your beneficiary, your TOD at the bank may not have backup beneficiaries. Yeah. So, so just as a, as a way of comparing situations, like you said, case-sensitive situations. So if somebody finds out, okay, I have a terminal illness and I have six months to live, you're going to have a different perspective about their estate plan than you are somebody who we don't know. Sure. Yeah. And it, it depends a lot on what the client, it, it's, you know, it's what we offer you are options and you're going to choose the option that's going to work for you based on, it may be based on how much, 
how much money you want to and time you want to invest in doing your estate plan. But to me, it's important that you understand what those different options are and um, you can make an informed decision for yourself. Okay, let's cover a couple more myths here and then we'll be getting to questions in a moment. So myth number five, my affairs can be handled by using a durable power of attorney, both before and after my death. Jennifer, and then Curtis, jump in there. Not true. Not true, yes, okay, what's the truth? So a, a durable power of attorney is where you've named somebody as your agent and that person would be able to um, do whatever the power of attorney says they can do. So it's going to be defined in that document, um, but those, those are not effective after your death. So the power of attorney document is only valid during your lifetime. Um, and the word, when it has the word durable, that means it continues when you're incapacitated. So, I, I mean, that's, to me, that's the whole point. So I don't know why we would want a non-durable power of attorney that's um, not effective if you're incapacitated because that's what your, the goal is, yeah. so. Well, maybe like, let's say like in real estate, we deal with people that are say they're out of the country. Right, there and, may be a limited yeah. power of attorney. Right. It's, it's, it's more of a corporate or business specific. Yeah. setting. Specific, yeah, yeah very specific. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so, because I was gonna say, Jennifer, I've had people say, you know, well, so mom passed away and we need to sell her house. And I go, okay, and they say, but I have a durable power of attorney. Yeah, that's not gonna help. But didn't you just say your mom died? And they're like, yeah, but I have a durable power of attorney. <laughs> uh, that's not gonna help them, right? Correct. Okay. Um, so Curtis, you okay? Okay, try not to inhale your coffee. Okay, so whenever somebody is dealing with banking issues, and I know you're more on the trust side, but in the bank itself, when someone's dealing with banking issues and uh, they want to help somebody in their family with banking issues, what does the bank want to see in way of documentation? So let's assume for a moment that we're talking about just the, the, the you know, someone walks in, wants to open an account, and they've got no apparent issues. It's no, not a moment of crisis, but they just want to establish a, an account or a relationship, let's say, with Arvest. You'll set up the account. Um, one of the questions our frontline personnel should be asking is, do you have a trust, and would you like to style that account in the name of the trust? Because if you don't, then it's, then it's that, that can be problematic, and well, let's wait till Q&A to talk about that. One of the new kind of the changes that's happened in the banking world is that you will have a, a trusted contact that will be identified. This is not a POA, this is not a anybody with legal power, but it is somebody you name that you uh, authorize a bank or whatever financial um, entity you might be doing business with. You give them permission to contact this uh, uh, trusted contact um, if the bank should note any concerns, like um, particularly in this in this area where we're seeing more um, elder abuse, uh, someone standing over their shoulder while they cash a very large check, um, we train our frontline personnel. All banks should be doing this, and I, I, I'm confident they are. But they're they're supposed to identify people with diminished capacity, people <laughs> acting under duress, things of that. Highly sort. anxious or yes. Right. Um, if you've been dealing with a, a particular institution long enough, uh, radically change of behavior, um, all those sorts of things. That's what we would look for. 
in those periods of crisis, we would start looking for um, going back, and you know, if someone does notice diminished capacity, let's say it's the Curtis Kane Revocable Trust, and that, that's the title of my bank account. Mine's actually, in my case, my wife and I have a joint trust. But let's say I come in there and I'm acting, I'm acting very strangely with none of those other outside factors, um, or sorry, better yet, someone else appears that said I'm acting as trustee of the Kane Trust. They're going to pull. The, we will have asked for a copy of that document, ideally, and more and more institutions are asking for the entire trust document for reasons that are beyond the scope of this discussion. But we will look for the documents to, to verify that they are that, that they are stepping into an active role as like a successor trustee or a. So they're looking for verification. Yeah. We're okay. Gonna, so we're hang gonna, on. I'm going to simplify your answer real quick. Okay. So there are lots of scenarios, but if I walk in and I want to deal with somebody else's banking business other than my own, you're going to want a document on file that says I have permission to do that. Yeah. We won't even we won't even right. talk to them about the existence of an account right. if the stranger comes to the to, I can't the, to the front line or calls me on the phone. I'll go. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm not in a position to discuss anything yeah. with you about anybody unless you show me where your what your role yeah. is in your legal capacity to do so. Now interesting you talked about how your front line is trained, right? So I had a durable power of attorney for my stepdad uh, when I was helping him with his uh, affairs there for a while and so I walked into bank first with my document, my notarized legal document drawn up by an attorney that said I have permission and it was very specific to deal with his banking issues and I gave it to them and they said well, let us uh, review this and we'll get back to you. And I went, I'm sorry, what? I need to do this like right now. And they're like, well, let us get back to you. We'll call you. We have to send that to our legal department. They had to send it to their attorney. So, their, poli so their policy is that they're going to send it to a back office yeah. legal team or compliance. Ours does that through too. And I'm just, and I'll just tell you that there's a, there's a there's way a of solving that. But if you've never experienced that, then you don't. You're you're, you're going to be frustrated. You should but, just put it on file, right? Exactly, yeah. and and let them know in advance. So if you've got someone who's going to have that power, don't let them show up when the crisis is there because it does take a little bit of time. I get a lot of phone calls like that, and I'm as a senior guy, I get to be able to kind of bless some of those so that they don't have to go to the back office. I'm either in the branch or they know me at the branch, and I can give them the answer they need. But that's because you have, they have a banking relationship there. Yes. Right. And that's the other difference, is a lot of these big banks, uh, if they don't know you, they're going to err on the side of caution. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? I mean, I, I don't want somebody being able to walk in the bank and deal with my banking information. But I, I guess I'm saying all this to say with Curtis up here is that you know they've got these rules to follow. And if I got my durable power of attorney uh, off of Zoom.com, LegalZoom.com, and took it into the bank, they're going to probably laugh at me. That attorney's going to say, yeah, that's probably not going to Well, and I'm, I'm just going to take 10 seconds yeah. and just say, let's say you're in Oklahoma, but you've done it on a Arkansas form or Louisiana yeah, form. Sure. That's yeah. going to create some delays. And understand, too, there's two ways of handling this. You either get very incomposed or you keep your composure when you deal with this. And if you help people understand why it's urgent, hopefully they're going to help you solve that problem without causing big delays. So if you ever do find that yourself in that situation, my advice is keep cool, explain to them why it's urgent and why you can't wait. And surely they're going to be able to expedite that. So back to our myth, just real quick, we'll tie this one up. So Jennifer, uh, we talked about before and after death. So it's only good if you're alive. So if that right. person wants their affairs handled uh, after their death, they're going to need something different. Yes, that's where 
if you have a trust, your trustee would take care of those things after your death. Without a trust, um, if you have assets that are just in your name, that's where it's going to have to go through the probate process. And you're going to have to have the court's permission to distribute assets, sell assets, do pretty much anything. And let me tell you how that's going to play from the banking side. If your bank account, your investment account, any of those sorts of financial affairs are in your name, not in the, and, and if you've done only a will, it's going to be in your name. When the bank becomes aware of your demise, your account's going to be frozen. Your online automatic debits to your account will stop. Your electric bill won't be paid. Um, are these, are these, you know, is the world going to fall apart? No. You just, you know, someone's going to have to understand that that's going to happen. And a few things that need to be cured are, A, let your attorney or let the attorney know that, that the person has passed so that they can begin the probate process. Take the original will to the court, get it filed, and start that. Get those wheels turning. And then reaching out if they lived at home, making sure that we're not here to describe what the job of the, of the personal representative are, but you can tell that's not an ideal situation. Um, so, so that you know that you know everything comes to a stop until the court approves, you know, approves the will, appoints the personal representative to handle the final affairs of the decedent, and then things start going again. And that's you know that. I just want to make sure you understood yeah. that too, no, the because still. everything yeah. everything comes to a screeching halt when you use simply a will. And so I'll I'll touch on that too. Even with a trust, if you um, if you're the trustee of the trust, so a trustee is the the manager of the trust, and you don't have a co-trustee, then at your death, same thing is going to happen. That you know nobody's going to be able to access that account until we can prove that you're deceased and show them who the successor trustee is. So, you know, that may be a quicker process than going through probate. I mean, most certainly it is a quicker process. But another thing a lot of my clients will do is once, you know, once they start getting to the point that they, um, you know, they recognize that maybe they need some help or it's a good time to, to bring in that trusted person, we'll add that person as a co-trustee. And so, and you provide that documentation to the bank in advance, like Curtis said, and then there's no delay. And so if, if, you, if you're in the hospital, they can continue paying your bills, taking care of things, and then upon your death, they're already in there as a trustee. So there would be, it would just be a very smooth transition. Or, or another option, it's very, very close to the same thing. You can add someone as what's called a courtesy signer. Um, you don't, generally I would say this, you don't add somebody as a co-owner of your account, but you can add them as a courtesy signer. So Is that still good after your passing? After you're gone? No, not after you pass. She's yeah. talking about that, but, but... If you're in the hospital or something, yeah. Yeah, but if you're, if you're, the presumption would be if you're adding someone as a co-trustee, then you've got to trust. So that would have to be, that. then you've made the choice in terms of your estate plan, which right. avenue you're taking. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to the question of cost just real quick on trust because this is the myth I hear a lot. It's cheaper to create a last will and testament than it is to create a trust, and that may be true. So here's the truth: the cost of creating a will, as I understand it, can be free because you can do it yourself. You can write it on a on the back of your paper right okay. there right now if you wanted to. The expense of probate, especially if your will is invalidated or contested 
can be quite costly. In most cases, the cost of probating an estate can far exceed the fees that would have been charged for creating a trust. Now, I want y'all to know, I originally had written in here, in some cases, the cost of probating an estate can exceed the cost of doing a trust. And Jennifer told me to change that word to most cases. Why is that, Jennifer? Why in most I mean, cases? I'd say most or all cases. If you're going through probate, it's going to be more expensive than doing a trust. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, like I said before, we're going through probate. And Oklahoma is different than other states, so each state has their own probate laws. And so if you moved here from Texas, Texas has a totally different probate procedure, and probate in Texas can be much easier than probate in Oklahoma. Um, they're, they're, if you can qualify for an, what they call an independent administration, the court doesn't supervise the probate process. So it's, it's pretty quick and easy. Now, I suspect maybe they have more issues with fraud in that process because nobody's um, checking in to see if that administrator is doing the job correctly. But in Oklahoma, our court's going to monitor that from start to finish. So, um, you know, you've got filing fees, publication fees, multiple court hearings. You have to send notice to all of the heirs at law, regardless of whether they're beneficiaries under the will. Um, so if you, you know, if you are not married and don't have kids, then that, then it goes further out. It could be your, um, your cousins, nieces, nephews, who knows, you know, we've, we've done that. So all those people have to get notice. So there's, um, postage costs, mailing, it's a lot. Time. Yes, and time. So it can get pretty costly. I usually tell people for an uncontested probate, I mean, really, it's going to be more than $6,000 to do an uncontested probate. Who pays for that, just real quick? So if there are um, funds in the estate, then, then those funds can be used to pay for that. Now, attorneys can't take attorney fees out of the estate without court permission. So usually when we start a probate, I require that a retainer be paid up front by the personal representative. That way I know, it, you know at least there's some money to pay my initial fees. And you know, we never know if it's gonna be contested or not. Um, so they'd be paying that out of their pocket, okay. that initial retainer, and then we can get them, we can apply to the court to have them reimbursed for that at a later date. Um, so. And, I, and we'll talk about the personal representative in a second because that's the thing. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. What do you mean I have to pay a retainer to an attorney because you asked me to handle your estate? I'm confused. Yeah, go ahead, Curtis. I was just, we, we mentioned time, but I want to emphasize time. Probate, and it's, I, I, I try not to speak in absolutes, even when I say I try not to speak in absolutes, but um, I will say that it's always going to depend, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to come back to this every single time, it always, it's case dependent. It's a matter of your situation, whether you use a will and are okay with probate or whether you do a trust. But the one thing I can tell you is, the administration, the final affairs handled through a will are going generally going to happen significantly slower. In other words, are going to require a lot more time, which extrapolates into a lot more expense than, than settling someone's final affairs by way of a trust, generally speaking. But it's always going to be case dependent. Um, so Jennifer, time, you mentioned time. Is there a standard time? I mean, like a minimum amount of time it will take versus 
Yes, there are, the, so the probate statute gives us time frames um, of when things can be done. So there's a certain amount of time you have to, to wait after the will is admitted to probate before you could close out the estate. So if it were a very straightforward and simple um, estate, you know, the minimum amount of time we could get it from start to finish is about five to six months. But that depends a lot on the court's calendar as well. And I'll tell you, we don't see that happen very often. Now, there are special circumstances. We have a short probate procedure. And generally, I use those if it's somebody that died outside of Oklahoma, and maybe the only thing they had in Oklahoma was mineral rights. And that process is about three months. Um, and but like I said, that's a totally yeah. different circumstance. In general, I would say you're looking at about a year or more to get a probate completed. And everything's in limbo, really, pretty pretty much during that time. Right. And so, I mean, the big thing too is if you have if you own real estate um, in a probate, and I know that that Nikki's very familiar with this. Um, <coughs> to sell real estate in a probate is is not an easy to do most of the time so that's another thing you have to get court permission to do that um, and there's an easy easier route and a longer route but certainly if the real estate's owned in a trust it's going to be much easier to take care of than going through probate and it's fraught with hazards um, for the personal representative or executor um, and some of the administrative you know the, the, the procedural rules for the administrator are pretty detailed um, and need to be followed um, otherwise you can find yourself in a you know, pretty tough situation too and that's not that's not unique to real estate there are certainly more more things that need to be done to deal with what we call unique assets than versus cash in a bank account and things like that in the end the urgency is on the part of the beneficiaries they're the ones who are going to be calling going when do i get my money when do i get my money and the answer is never soon enough right so that's 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 the people who are going to be uh, most aggravated. Well, and in some cases, you know, I, we think, okay, that person's greedy, they want their money, but in some cases, they're out money. Like, they've expensed money for care, um, they may have credit card debt because that person uh, needed care and they put it on their credit card because they didn't have anything other than a house. And they knew when that house was going to be sold, they were going to be made whole. And now they've got money out there that they're having to pay so that they don't have. So in some cases, it's not about greed as much as it is about uh, reimbursement. Um, you mentioned the real estate side of things. You know, our biggest challenge, just so you know, from a real estate perspective, you hear Chris and Shannon dealing with this, is if the person who's going through probate with the property that they're trying to sell has an attorney that doesn't know how to do probate, that time frame Jennifer just mentioned, you might as well double it because they miss filing deadlines, they do it incorrectly, and then you're having to redo stuff. And so the first thing we recommend is that you have somebody with like Jennifer that does probate, that knows what they're doing, do it. Not your oil and gas attorney or your neighbor who does an occasional divorce here and there or whatever. <laughs> Mr. Analogy here, um, when you go to the, when you have a, a knee problem, you don't go to a right. ear, nose and throat doctor. Yeah. You need someone who spends most of their practice working on bad knees. Um, so the next one is myth number seven. My eldest child is the best person to designate as my trustee in the case of a trust or personal representative or executor in the case of a will. Uh, we have that down as a myth. 
So is that eldest child usually the best choice? I know you're going to say it depends, Jennifer. Well, as the oldest child, okay. I might say yes, but no, I mean, yes, it would depend. And sometimes that, that could be very well true, but I would say don't make that choice just because they're the oldest child and that that is somehow expected. Um, you know, for your financial affairs, so on your trust and your financial power of attorney, you want to name somebody that's going to be able to do that job. So you want to think about, do are they good with money? Are they responsible? Do they have the time to do this job? So they may be a very responsible person, but they, they may have a, a job that doesn't give them any extra time to take care of those things for you. And that's where, you know, naming a corporate trustee could be an option. And then for your medical decisions, you know, that can be a different person. You don't have to name the same person on, on all of your documents. So if you have a, another child that's in the healthcare industry, then maybe that's the one you want making your healthcare decisions and you may have somebody else on your financial. And you kind of want them to uh, align with what it is your expectations are, you think? Yes, yes. Uh, when I, and I'm not going to ask for a sign of hands, but I've, I've looked at a handful of documents for people from senior living, and you probably heard me ask the question, if, if they weren't your child, is that who you'd want handling your affairs? And more often than not, it's like, oh, no, but what are my options? So you find out it's a very revealing question, and for me, it kind of gets to the point, the, to the heart of the matter, and that's, you know, people need to understand what their options are. There's nothing obligatory about it, and you, and if you think you're doing them some sort of service or honor by naming them, you're wrong, because it is a tough job, and if you've got multiple siblings, I can assure you through 26 years of experience, more often than not, there will be conflict among the children, particularly when the last of mom and dad are gone. Uh, if, you, if you believe, if you think, if you trust, or you're confident that the children are going to get along, I can tell you from my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. Not to say that that's a bad idea, but you've got to be very thoughtful. There is no simple answer to that. You have to really think through all the things that Jennifer was talking about, and you might find yourself ruling them out. And I've seen plenty of people who have named their attorney to handle the administration, or their CPA, or an independent fiduciary to handle that. Uh, you see all kinds of different uh, ways of approaching that. Just just know that much like naming who's going to handle your, your affairs in the event of capacity, the, the sky's the limit. So, so it is with your final affairs after you're gone. So just because they can doesn't mean they should. And just because they will doesn't mean they can. Right? I mean, think about that, right? I mean, and just because they can doesn't mean they'll do it well. Well, that's true. Yeah. So, I, you know, it comes up, uh, I had a, a lady that I, I know, good friends with from my hometown, and she took on uh, the task of, I guess, a durable power of attorney and kind of, you know, the woman was still living and she asked her, would you be willing to take care of my estate should something happen to me? And she said, of course, I'd be glad to do that. Well, so the, the lady had health issues and really couldn't live in her own home anymore. And so they were trying to get her to move to actually Spanish Cove. And the woman really didn't want to, um, probably needed to, but really didn't want to. And anyway, the lady who had volunteered to be kind of her helper really didn't sign up for that. Like what she signed up for was when she's gone, I can handle closing her estate. But now she's not gone, but she's a pain in her side. 
Does that make sense? Then the niece calls from out of state and says, you're trying to get my aunt's money. And she's like, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. All I signed up to do was help if something happened. She died, I close out her estate. So how, when you name somebody as a personal representative, what does that really mean? Does that mean that they're on the hook now for you for the rest of their life and yours? Or what does that mean in legal terms, Jennifer? Well, the word, the term personal representative is, is refers to the will. So that's your executor under your will specifically. So, and a will only takes effect at death. Um, so it depends on what, what role, you know, and what, what documents you're named in. Now, a lot of times, whoever's serving as the personal representative or who's nominated as personal representative would also be named in the financial power of attorney um, or trust. So, um, and, you know, those roles would be during the lifetime. So they would be the person responsible for so two different things. Yeah, we're just a personal representative does mean after death. Correct. So it's about a communicate. It was there was a miscommunication in her role, right? Yes. My friend Sounds family. like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we we put together my dad's estate plan and worked with him on that, uh, as Curtis said, siblings really do, do make a difference. And I'm the oldest in my family, and I kind of feel like I'm probably the most equipped to do uh, the things that will need to be done. But when my dad says, so you're going to be my personal representative, right? I said, no, I don't want that job. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I don't want the job of having to evict my brother from your house after you're gone. Because that's what's going to have to happen. And he went, well, then who's going to do it? I said, I don't know. That's your decision. And he said, well, how about Daryl? Daryl's his good friend. He's probably five, six, seven years older than me. Nice guy. I've known him my whole life. He's great. I said, perfect. Ask Daryl to do it. So dad called Daryl, talked to him, told him that's what he was, you know, he's playing on him being the personal representative. Daryl agreed. We did it. That's all in the legal documents. So now when dad says to me, after I'm gone, I say, talk to Daryl. And I mean that, and I, and I don't mean to sound harsh, and I mean we laugh, but guys, I do not want to be the person that has to have that conversation in my family. I don't. And Daryl can do that and not feel bad. Does that make sense? So uh, now if something changes between now and when my dad's gone, that, that circumstance may change and I may take on that role. But as it sits right now, that is the last role that I want to be in. And so uh, Daryl and I have had conversations. I'm like, Daryl, I will be there to help you do whatever you need to do, but I am not going to be in that role. And I, I felt like that was fair. So I think you have to look at your family circumstances, too, and ask yourself, am I putting my kids in a position that after I'm gone is not going to be good for them or the rest of the family, possibly? So, um, okay, so let's do the next truth here. Uh, da, 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 da. Probating an estate is required after someone dies. So we kind of touched on that, but one of you mentioned um, that the only, okay, so the truth on this is not all estates require probate if the assets are placed in a trust and the trust is funded. That was the key here, right, Jennifer? Correct. Then probate may not be necessary. Okay, so if someone does have a trust, uh, what is the most important things you need this group to know about that as it relates to probate? So a trust can only control the assets that are titled in the name of the trust. 
and you know there is some confusion on this because I'll have people say well that is that is listed on my trust though my my house and my, my lake house and my car is listed on my trust and they're talking about listed on their trust document that doesn't matter it, what matters is how those assets are titled. So on your car title, does it say that it's owned by your trust? On the, the deed to your house, was a deed prepared transferring your house into the trust? Um, I would hope that most, if you're seeing an attorney to do your estate planning, most attorneys should transfer your house into your trust for you as part of that estate plan. Should. Should, yes. You're being kind. Um, your, your bank accounts need to be titled in the name of your trust. So that's where you go to the bank, uh, like Curtis mentioned, and provide them documentation of your trust, and they will transfer that bank account over to your trust. Really, everything that you own needs to be in the trust. One exception is retirement accounts. So retirement accounts have to be owned by an individual, and that's I don't make those rules. That's the IRS rules. So we don't transfer retirement accounts to the trust. If you if you did try to transfer your retirement account to the trust, it'd all be taxable right now and nobody wants that. So don't do that. So with retirement accounts, what, what you wanna make sure is that you've got your beneficiaries up to date. And so on retirement accounts, that's going to be very client specific on how we name beneficiaries on those retirement accounts. So it's gonna depend a lot on who those beneficiaries are. You can name a trust as a beneficiary on a retirement account, but that's not always the best thing to do. And because so, of taxes. Right, and so we're gonna talk talk to each client about how to set those up, and we'll give you instructions on how to do that. And the trust has, in order for a trust to be a beneficiary in a retirement account, the trust has to have certain language in it. So it's real important. And again, a lot of that has to do with the IRS rules, and they, like to change those rules so they've made changes to those rules in the past few years um, so those have to be up to date so one thing i don't think we've talked about is you may have a trust but if you did your trust 20 years ago it needs to be updated um, the tax laws and estate planning has changed significantly in that time and i mean even if it's been five or ten years you may want to look at it and see if it needs to be updated and, and what i'd say about that too is i had another thought i was going to address too before i forget but a 20-year-old trust won't necessarily fail but it may fail to do all the things you really want it to do that's why it's important there's a lot of new rules that deal with the retirement accounts and things like that so it's again it's case sensitive it's it's a matter of what you're trying to accomplish thing I was going to mention about um, assignment like bank accounts and things like this. Now, at the end of all this, you know, no selling, but we're going to avail ourselves to you to review documents for you. Mine would not be at a, a legal review, only, only she could do that. I would look at it from an administrative perspective, but the one thing I, I, I generally don't like to see, but I can use, is when you do a will, and it includes what I call the Schedule A, the list of assets, and it, and in the truck in the will, it may say, "I want my son Bob to get my bank first account number one two three four five. But guess what? I've closed that account, and now it's at mid first, and it's got a completely different account number. That's an uh oh because Bob may not ever see the cash that comes out of that account. Um, so these are things she's. Okay. These, these are these are these are red for. 
yellow flags that I think need to be looked at because there's a right way and a wrong way to make us, you know, to, to fund your trust. You know, titles on cars are done, and that's the only effective way of, of conveying title. Now, there are ways of solving that problem, but, but they're not ideal. Real estate is conveyed by deed. There's no way of circumventing that, but it can be solved, but it's time-consuming and costly. So it's kind of coming, my, my, my underlying theme here is, you know, all problems can be solved, but is it the way to, you know, is that the way you want this to work? And it's not. And and, and, and if you're if you're talking, you know, everybody's got an opinion. So if people are going, ah, you don't need to trust, you gotta consider the source. And I, I was gonna say this and then we're gonna go to questions, because I just looked at the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the time gone? Um, I'm paying attention to y'all and all the time. So one of the things I just want to convey right here is what Curtis just said, everybody has an opinion. We have family members that are attorneys and they will tell you that I'm not getting a trust. Okay, that's fine. You're an attorney, and if that attorney says they're not getting a trust, they probably have a good reason for that, whatever. That doesn't make it their advice necessarily to everybody, right? So you can't you can't necessarily follow somebody's advice, and I would want to know why. Why would you not? What I've found is sometimes some of the smartest people do the stupidest stuff. Have you ever found that to be the case? Right? I mean, I, I just, I mean, I hate to say it that way. Okay, so I'm going to open it up to questions because we've already covered these last two truths that are on here uh, and myths. And that way we make sure we get everybody's questions. So, um, who would like to go first? All right, Miss Betty, I'll get you and then I'll go back here. Yep. My concern would be when a person dies but their relatives live out of the state. So how do you juggle what laws apply? Okay, so the person passes, I'm just going to use Oklahoma, they pass away here in Oklahoma, but their relatives live elsewhere that are named as either their trustees or their personal representatives. How is that handled? What laws apply, she asked. So Oklahoma law would apply, um, and, you know, if the person was a resident of Oklahoma and their properties in Oklahoma, then it would be administered under Oklahoma law. And that's okay to name people... If, you, if your trusted person lives in another state and that's who you want to be, your personal representative or your trustee, that's perfectly fine. Um, I have clients who've lived all over the United States and they serve as the personal representative or the trustee over assets that are in Oklahoma and um, you can certainly do that. You know, if, if it's going through probate, it's possible that they may have to come to Oklahoma for a hearing, but a lot of times we can handle that without them coming to a hearing as long as it's uncontested. Jennifer, so. what if they find out that uh, they have Oklahoma stuff, but they also find out that they had property or mineral rights in another state other than Oklahoma? So if if those, um, you know, if they had even a timeshare in another state, then that could mean that that's going to have to be probated in that other state if it's just in their name and not in a trust. So if, if somebody owns property um, in multiple states, a trust really is going to be a good option because the assets can all be owned by that trust. Um, otherwise, you're looking at multiple probates. I have an estate where we have uh, mineral rights in five or six states, and none of it was, it's all going through probate in each of those states. And so that's costing them in each one of those states. Yeah, you, you, you double your pleasure, you double your fun. And, and some of the states are worse than others. Like she mentioned, Texas is a, has the a, a availability of independent probate. 
Louisiana does not. And guess what? Louisiana doesn't operate on English common law. They're Napoleonic law, and they don't allow a foreign trustee to serve or a personal representative to serve in Louisiana. So not only do you have to go to court for another probate proceeding and do it under a different form of law, you're going to have to have a Louisiana attorney and a Louisiana executor or PR. It's just, it's, yeah. Lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, yeah. it's, it's chaos. I mean, it's you just create chaos by doing that when there's a very simple way of solving that. And here's the last thing we talked about cost of will versus probate. I mean, will versus a trust. And it depends on the case. But if, if you can make, and I, I, you know, one of the first questions I ask people is, do you own out state property? Because if they do, I go, that throws up a flag. I mean, you're probably going to default to a trust. I mean, it's, there's, there may be ways of skinning that cat, but why do that? But I've talked to an attorney who's not making that distinction and simply said, for most of our clients, we have found that pro, the, the uh, administration by way of a trust versus a will has been more cost effective. Period. No matter whether you have property. Well, I mean, well, I think they're throwing everything together, yeah, yeah. but their general observation, and again, right. it's a generality, but it's a general observation. Okay. Um, yeah. No. Okay. So I have this one, and then I'll come up here. Yes. Your home and what do you say? The IRA. IRA and any other primary assets. If you have those set up to where they're paid on death or transferred on death, does that take care of probate? Was that the question? Does that take care of probate? You want to talk about that, Jennifer? It can. So um, if you think of, you know, maybe a plan that good, better, best, have you heard that before? So doing beneficiary designations is better than doing nothing. But what if one of your kids dies before you? There's not going to be a, a backup listed on that TOD um, that says what happens with that person's share if they die before you. And if you're incapacitated, a TOD is not going to help you. Now, if you have a power of attorney in place, then that might cover you there. Um, so again, it's it's about what what you're comfortable doing. If you're comfortable with that plan and you understand that there may be circumstances when that's may not work, um, then that's okay. None of us know when we're going to go. We don't know when our kids are going to go. So you know, when we do estate planning, um, we try and plan for as many things that might happen as possible. I call it the what if game. We, we go through all these what if scenarios because none of us can predict the future. I'm going to say this, you know, the old cliche, the old maxim, don't be penny wise and dollar foolish. We're going, like I said, we're going to avail ourselves, and I know I'm signing on for what may be a very big project here, but we're going to avail ourselves to having one-on-one -on -one conversations with you at no expense. And I'm not committing her to anything. I'm committing myself and my, my associates let Jennifer say the same thing. But don't be penny wise and dollar foolish and be, and, and be satisfied because that's a very case specific question. And there may be things involved that you're not covering when you have, when you ask that question. You may be covering everything. But I always get worried because that's very unique, not the norm. 
and I could probably poke holes in that and find where that might not be ideal. Well, and you know the other thing I hear people say is, well, they're not going to predecease me. They're only in their 40s or they're only in their 50s. And then what I find out is they end up going together for Christmas to see the family and they all die in the same flipping car accident. Then what happens? There's and illnesses and all sorts of things. Yeah, COVID happened. So I'll say one more thing about a transfer on death for your house because that is a little bit different. And so... Um, when you you can do a, a you can designate a beneficiary for your real property in Oklahoma, so your house or your mineral rights, and there's a um, specific form that you have to use for that. It's a transfer on death deed, um, and we can do that, and I've done those for people. Again, it depends on the circumstances as far as when that's going to make sense. But the key is when that person dies. So if you if you do a transfer on death designation to your two kids, like you said, um, they need to understand that they have to do something after you die. So it doesn't happen automatically, and there's a time limit on it. So they have to acknowledge that and file an affidavit and attach a copy of your death certificate to that, and it has to be recorded within nine months of your death, or guess what? It's going through probate. And I've had that happen twice. I've done probates yeah. twice where there was a transfer on death deed, but never I never it. heard from anybody till well after that nine months, and so we went through probate. Well, is, there such is, is there such thing as a TOD on a car? There is. Yeah. And bank accounts, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and I think, well, I think what, what people fail to remember sometimes is that when someone passes away, you're not all of a sudden like, okay, let's just get this estate settled. I'm ready. It, People are, there's time to grieve, there's time to go through things, there's times when you find things that you didn't know were out there. Um, there are family members that come to the funeral that you didn't know existed. <laughs> or, the house. or the house. I mean, there are things that happen. So I just, I just want to remind you that this is not like business as usual, the time you want to be doing some of this stuff. Okay, I had a hand up over here and then here. And then I, I know I haven't ignored you guys, so yes, ma'am. Okay, well, let's get the first one, and then we'll come back to the second one. The uh, trusted con uh, contract or purchase agreement that the bank, you gave, uh, and the document that they signed with the bank, if you are the trustee contract, do you, do you also have to be listed in the trust? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're, so making, you're making a bunch of that's a lot of moving parts. Okay. And, and so let me ask it. If when they when they go to the bank and you say I want this person to be on my account as that trusted contact, if something's weird, they get the phone call. No. Do they have to also be in your trust? No. The answer is no. No, but my guess is if they're a trusted contact, they may very well be the person. If you don't want a corporate fiduciary, for example, they may be the person. They may be that person. There is no contract with if you if, if the bank. When you I say the bank is involved in the trust, if you're talking about bank accounts and you've opened an account with the bank, you're you're opening it in your name with the trusted contact, enough done, and you're you're going to rely on a will, hopefully, or a transfer on death. If you've done some trust planning, you're talking about a completely different question. So I think you're focusing strictly on a bank account. Am I right? So keep in mind let's, this. Let's, let's yes. talk offline. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a very specific question, and these guys are going to answer those questions, yeah, at the table back in the back. Yeah. Yes, sir. What is the process if you want 
What is the process if you want to change a trustee or dissolve a trust? And by the way, I also had somebody ask last month that one of the questions was, can I change my trust from a revocable to irrevocable or back? So if you want to cover that, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know about that second question. That may be another hour of discussion. Yeah. But as far as changing, if it's your trust and you created the trust and it's a revocable trust, then you can change who your trustee is. You would do that by amending the trust to change who, who the trustee on the trust is. Um, and that's a fairly simple change to make um, on the trustees. So, and then you had a second part of your question. Yeah, so can you, can, you, uh, can you dissolve a trust? Oh, so if it's a revocable trust, then you can revoke that trust, which would be dissolving it. But, you know, I've never done that before because it usually doesn't make sense. The only time we've, um, I've terminated a trust before somebody died is if we had a married couple with a joint trust and then they get divorced. And so we have to get the assets split in accordance with their divorce decree. And then that trust is terminated. And then usually they go on to create their own individual trusts after that um, but if you know most people if they've already got a trust in place we don't want to dissolve that trust we want to um, amend it to make the changes that you want to make um, rather than just I just had this conversation with somebody the other day she's like well what if I just don't want to trust anymore I'm like well you've already got a trust that's great you know let's Let's get, get it updated to how you want it to read, and there's no reason to, to get rid of the trust necessarily. And what I was going to say, too, she's pretty touched on it. If you've already been, the heavy lifting's been done if you formed a trust. If you don't like the provisions in it, change the provisions. But I've, I've also a very esteemed attorney who, who thought, here's the way I'm going to do this. I'm just going to form another trust and then start changing because I got different beneficiaries I go oh that's great you just doubled your expense in some respects I'm yeah. oversimplifying but all you had to do is go amend the dispositive right. provisions rather than create a whole new trust which would be a whole new it's, and it's you just can, the you can chaos even, um, restate a trust so if again if it's a revocable trust you can do a restatement so essentially you are um, amending the entire trust but the original name and date of your trust would stay the same. And all the assets that are in it don't have to be retitled. You don't have to put new names on your bank accounts, new okay. names on your deed on your house. All is, that, is that what you would do in the case, like when somebody comes to you and says, okay, everything about my trust needs to be changed. There's so many things that need to be changed. And what they'll tell me is that my attorney that I went to, my old attorney retired, my new attorney says that they can't, it'd be cheaper for me to just do a new trust than amend my old trust. What is that about? Yeah, so and I do tell people that a lot of times that it's going to make more sense to do a restatement than to do an amendment. Or what I'll see is maybe somebody has four amendments that they've done to their trust. So now it's time to do a restatement so that we can incorporate all those changes. It makes it much less confusing for people down the road. And not just your trustee, but people like the bank and, and different things. If we're having to look at all those amendments and piece them together, a lot of times it's going to make more sense to do a restatement. And, and we're getting way into the weeds here, but it depends on who's going to be your trustee, too. I mean, if, it, if those amendments are clear and effective and mean something to the, the trustee and they understand what they're doing, that's one thing. But it's another if it's only going to be, well, let's get to the heart of the matter, too. It depends on who wrote the original trust and who did the amendments, because I've seen bad examples of both. But it can be clean either way. 
But guess what? It depends on the situation. So it's that case sensitive thing too. So And I mean, if I have a trust and I'm going to hand it to you as my corporate trustee and I say follow this and you're looking at it and you're like, well, which part of this do you want me to follow? So let's talk about Ray real quick. So Ray let's was Ray was a gay like, this is when I, I practiced in Texas for five years. So Ray comes in the door and he's a guy I met at church and he goes, Well, I wrote my own document. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> so I look at this document and it is the most, you know mixed bag of tricks that you can imagine. Well, the punchline to this is, Ray was retired from NASA. He was a rocket scientist, so he was a smart guy. But I said, Ray, this is the most ineffective document I think I've ever seen. And it took a little while to explain that. But it's because he did it himself and it was very piecemeal. I don't care if it's an attorney, they can do the same thing. Again, if you've gone to the ENT instead of the orthopod. So it's going to be, it's going to be a matter of what you're starting with, what you're working with when you, when you ask those questions. I'll look at a document and I'll tell you my opinion, but I'm not going to give you a legal opinion. I'm going to say you need to talk to Jennifer because if it's as simple as changing your, your, you know, who your uh, trust, successor trustee is going to be, I'll look at it and I go, I don't think this is going to be very difficult. I'm not going to do it for you. You're going to call Jennifer or someone like Jennifer. Or you're making such radical changes, and oh, by the way, the rest of the document has some, you know, some fatal flaws in it. You're definitely going to want to talk to an attorney. Just so, you know, it 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 depends. It depends. Yeah. Okay, I have a couple more questions, yes, ma'am, and then I'll get yours. Yeah. What is a standing power of attorney? What is a standing power of attorney? I haven't heard that term before. I'm not sure. We don't. Standing to me sounds like someone's. Just saying it's an existing or in, uh, uh, an ongoing one meaning. that's in effect it's i don't think that has a, a, a yeah. term to you because i don't think that has any legal meaning to it no i don't think that's legal terminology you can have durable and undurable or non-durable powers of attorney the non-durable if someone loses capacity then it oh i maybe you're referring to like a springing power of attorney Yes. Okay. Springing. So what a springing power of attorney is that it will only go into effect if you're incapacitated. So I'm glad you brought that up because we didn't mention it earlier. So for most of my clients, I recommend that their power of attorney be effective immediately. And the reason why is that's going to make it easier for the person that you've named as your agent to be able to step in and help you out when you need help. You should trust whoever you're naming. So it shouldn't matter whether you're incapacitated or not incapacitated if they can serve. Now some clients say, no, I only want them to serve if I'm incapacitated. And I say, well, if you don't trust them now, why are you going to trust them if you're out of it? You know? And, so, and talk about what, what it means to be a spring power. I mean, what, let me just get to the point. If, it, if you did have a, one with a spring power, I don't see those anymore. I don't see them. For the same reason, it's like if you don't trust them, if you're going to trust them, then want to trust them now. But a springing power means you've got to be ruled incapacitated. That's either going to be, you know, the, by a by the, in the opinion of one attorney, two doctors, a court of competent jurisdiction. Guess what? Time and money, and things so we, are, things might be more urgent than that. And we're finding that it's really hard to get doctors to provide us with that documentation that says that person's incapacitated. They do not want to get involved in the legal world. We actually, they want to treat their patients, but they don't want to write letters for attorneys. Someone's someone told them it's risky to do it. We actually did a panel. Jennifer was on uh, with Dr. Smith, who's spoken here before. And he literally said in front of that group of attorneys and uh, financial planners, he said, uh, he's a neuros neuroscient neuroscientist. He said, 
we're not gonna we're not gonna write a letter to you saying that this person's incapacitated. Not gonna do it. It'll sit there on their desk, and I'm like, oh my lord, that's what the attorney friend you had there was going. She's just they were waiting six months for a doctor to say that this person doesn't have capacity. So that's that makes total sense. Okay. So that's why you know it's it's much easier if it's a non-springing power of attorney. So that way, again, the person would have those powers immediately. So if you have one of those, you may want to have it looked at, and it could be redrawn as just a regular. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm only going to take one more question, and I've already pointed at her. And then the rest of you guys, I know you have questions. These guys are going to go back there to their table here in just a second, and they'll be here for a little bit longer. Yep. Why are some of the trusts called a living trust? What is the difference, or why are some of the trusts called living trusts? Sure. So a living trust means revocable trust. So attorneys like words, and so we have lots of words that all mean the same thing. So living trust, revocable trust, those all mean the same thing. That means that you can make changes to it. Now, after the person who created the trust dies, it becomes irrevocable. And so that means it can't be changed. But the name of the trust could still be living trust after they're gone. Um, but that's what it means. You'll also see inter vivos trust if oh, you like your Latin. If you didn't pass Latin, <laughs> you wouldn't know what that means. I didn't take Latin. So you'll hear all sorts of different terminology. I see revocable living trust. Revocable interview, you know, just like she said, some people like to type. I don't know if they're charged by the letter or what, but there's a lot of them. Okay. The point being that that trust comes into effect when you sign off on it. The irrevocable part is usually triggered by the death of the trustor, grantor. There's a lot of different words and that have the same meaning. Well, I'm going to point one more thing out that may be pertinent. I, we've had people, we do lists sometimes, like we'll pull a list of a neighborhood and we'll mail something out about looking for a property that a client wants to buy and we'll send it out to a neighborhood. And when we do that, the, the labels will print out whoever the owner is of the property. And it'll say, Joe and Jane Smith Revocable Trust. And we'll send it to that address and they'll call. How did you know I have a trust? You shouldn't know that information. Jennifer, why do people, why is that common public knowledge? So when we file the deed transferring your property into your trust, when we file that with the county clerk, the county clerk sends that information over to the county assessor's office and they're going to update the information on your property to reflect the new owner as your trust. So that's why. So it, it is, in fact, your trust is the owner. Correct. Oh, and it's there. Correct me if I'm wrong, there will be a document filed that's going to say who the current trustee is as well. So it depends. You can transfer it directly to the trust or you can transfer it to the trustee of the trust. But that's getting in really into the weeds. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to make a couple of announcements and uh, then I'm going to let these guys go. So listen up because it's going to be important, okay? So uh, these two on the back of your uh, evaluation have alluded to the fact that they're going to be doing some free consultations. If you would like to take advantage of that, um, they will sit down with you. We're going to do it at our office because it's easy to get to and it's, it's easy to park and all that stuff. They'll be in a private conference room and we will set up times for you to come in. About 30 minutes or so is what we tell people because this is not a long conversation. They will look at your documents make recommendations on maybe questions you should be asking. Um, if you were to decide 
to employ one of them, that is entirely up to you. But the goal of the conversation is to make sure that you get your questions answered. Okay? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, let me throw this in. If you're bringing a document to be reviewed, I'm not going to review it while we're sitting there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get acquainted with you and talk about what your circumstances are. So what I would ask is bring a copy that I can keep so that I can take it back and study it. I'm going to take notes on it. I'm going to find out about the family. I want to know. I want to get to know you because that really determines a lot. I can look at the document, but if all I'm doing is look at the document, I don't know really whether you've made mistakes or whether there's any sort of weaknesses that I would perceive. So I'm going to spend as much time with you as you need to get acquainted. And generally, you know, I want to I want to probably block an hour for an hour. Okay. Um, how can you do that? How how is it possible that you guys can do that? This person's not an account holder at Arvis. They don't have you managing their trust. Why are you willing to do that? I you know I always begin it you know just and it's not a strat but it is a strategy. If I'm meeting a stranger, I'm going to sit down and go tell me about you. Because it's all about you. All but right. why is Arvis paying you to do this with all these people? Um, it's going to sound like an you know it's going to it's, it's going to sound like an advertisement for me and Arvis. That's why I'm I work, asking. I work for an ownership. Arvis is owned by a, a very prominent family who allows us to do this. Um, I'm salaried. I'm not commissioned. I'm not. My job that I describe. If anybody's ever sat down with me, and there's a few people that have. My job is to give the best advice I can. Your job will always be to decide what to do with it. If there's ever a point I'm going, you're going to need me or someone like me, I'm going to tell you up front, if we come to the point where I feel like you need me or someone like me, I'm going to tell you. But I'm also going to tell you if you don't need someone like me. Um, and I'm committed to that. That is my ministry. Um, so stop right there. Stop right there. We don't have too much time. I'm going, to, I'm going to recap this because I tell these guys they can't sell from the stage. This is not a sales pitch. And that's why I wanted Curtis to tell you, this is something that they do as a community service that Arvest encourages and allows them to do. Okay, so I just want to be really clear about that. This is not a sales pitch. You're not going to walk in like a timeshare and they're going to say, okay, now that you've been here for an hour, you're stuck with me. Um, and the reason he needs an hour is because he's chatty. That's it. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, if you're superficial, you're superficial right. and you're going to get, I, I want to know everything I can right. know. Yeah. And I feel like I can get most of that accomplished in yeah. an hour or less. Yeah. You're not going to be there. Well, there are some people right. I sat down with and we sit, sometimes we just hit it off. And I just, I find people very intriguing. Yeah, and I so love learning about people and their experiences. Okay, she's chatty. Yeah. All right. Well, so, Danielle, an hour with a 30 minute gap in between every one of his appointments. Okay. Uh, Jennifer, on the other hand, I'm going to say. Yeah, let me. Yeah. So, for if you if you would like to meet with me, we we can do that. I will say, you know, thirty minutes is not going to be time for me to review all of your documents, but I can probably do a quick review. And if you have specific questions, just come prepared with those, and I'll be happy to answer those. And if we if it needs to go beyond that, I can give you an idea of what that cost would be I try to do most of our estate planning as a flat fee so it's up front that you would know what that's going to cost so and guys I, the reason we're doing this is because I have this feeling like I don't feel good about going I'm not going to go hire an attorney I've never met with and one of my biggest pet peeves is I don't want to come meet with you and pay you $250 if I don't know that I like you does that make sense right we as real estate agents have been doing free services for years because we want to see if it's a fit 
before you write a check to us. And so that's kind of what these guys are doing, is they're saying, hey, if you like us and we like you and we can help you, then we will, okay? All right, can we give them a round of applause as they go back to their table? And then, uh, thank you guys. Uh, as I am running late, I'm gonna give you a couple of quick announcements. Uh, on your eval, you can sign up for our next seminars. The next one, this month, uh, next month here is um, the truth about staying in control, communicating with your adult children. The one at the library, which is next week, is on the 13th. Who am I now? Creating community as we age. We have three panelists uh, for, that pan uh, for that panel, and Marilyn Olson with Villages will be moderating it. And the panelists are going to be talking about how they went through some like reinventions of themselves after or during retirement and how they recreated or reinvented themselves. And so if that's something that uh, you believe would be interesting to others as well, please invite them to that. And then I did mention the education partner field trips at New View and at Able Tech. Uh, and then I want to also mention one more educational program. Can you all tell that we're all about education? Yes? Okay. Villages OKC is doing a program uh, on Monday the 6th, I'm sorry, Monday the 19th, Alzheimer's versus dementia, what's the difference? Uh, Carla, who is our one of our education partners with Concordia, will be the presenter for that. And so there's a lot of confusion about what is Alzheimer's, what is dementia, how do these words, they're not synonymous or are they? And she's gonna be kind of debunking some myths uh, in that regard. That's part of the Villages seminar series, and they have a handout back here, Steve does, at their table that has their whole year's schedule as well. Um, oh, and guess who I see here? Tara Harden is here. Hey, Tara. All right, and Tara is back there. You guys know her. She does seminars with the Salt Council, and uh, they do fraud prevention and personal safety and defense and all kinds of good stuff. So there is no shortage of education in Oklahoma City, you guys. It's just get out there and take advantage of it. All right, you guys, I'm out of here. We'll see you at the next seminar. Make it a great day. Give your neighbor a hug before you leave, all right?